You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. sermon this morning because I'm going to be talking about it again, and I hate saying the same things twice without it being different. So I have to like talk about it in a little bit of a different way. But anyway, this morning, um, I got a little nervous coming to church because I was told that there was not going to be anybody there. The, the congregation in the morning is a little bit older, and uh, I thought a lot of people were going to be traveling. Uh, a lot of people are traveling this weekend, uh, but the church was pretty full. And then I realized that um, there, weren't, there wasn't any children's ministry on the way to church. And so all the kids were going to be in church for my sermon on sex. Um, and so that's what I'm talking about tonight. So I started thinking on the way to church, how was I going to retell this whole sermon, all my illustrations, everything else? Uh, on the way? So it was a little bit of a nerve-wracking morning for me, but... Everyone survived. There was children's ministry, um, so the kids' ears, you know, were not melting when they left. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was actually a really good time. It was a good time and a good conversation um, to unpack the scripture um, this morning. And uh, we, as you know, if you've been here uh, with us, we're in this series this summer called the Summer of Rest. And uh, we're also on the eve of the 4th of July as Drew reminded us when we celebrate the independence of this country. And I would say if there was anything that on the eve of that celebration that I would hope for for the church, um, <clears throat> the church here in this country especially, uh, it would be that we would be a part uh, of bringing uh, sexual healing uh, to this country. Uh, a lot of people knew the topic on staff that I was uh, preaching on this week, so when they were around me, they would hum the Marvin Gaye song, uh, Sexual Healing, uh, when they were around me, and you know, they got a good laugh out of that. But I found myself instead uh, singing um, Adele's song, Go Easy on Me. That, that was the song that felt more appropriate when it came to this topic, uh, because as both a pastor, as a counselor, as a human being, I've engaged with enough people in my own story enough that there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of confusion uh, and, and there's just a lot of things happening for us at a nuanced level uh, in, a, in our culture, in our cities, in our churches, in our communities, in our families. And I love Adele's, you know, just please go easy on us right now. Um, and when I was uh, training uh, for church planning, I went to New York City for uh, six weeks. It was in 2011, and uh, this guy named Tim Keller, who's a pretty well-known pastor, was training myself and 11 other pastors. And we were there for an international church planning intensive. I was planting a church in Miami. They consider that international. Um, 
And so I was there and uh, we were in this meeting with Tim and it was just myself and these 11 other pastors asking him any question we wanted to. We did it once a week uh, for about an hour. And one of the meetings, one of the guys asked, um, what, do you, what do you see as the greatest challenge before the church in the next 20 years? And, and Tim said, uh, without missing a beat, uh, homosexuality in the church, that this relationship was going to be the greatest uh, issue that the church would have to wrestle with. And when Tim Keller said that, I immediately disagreed with him and thought, no, it's sexuality. It's not just homosexuality, it's sexuality. It is much, much broader uh, because the church has not been a place that we have been able to talk about the fullness of our humanity. And sexuality being a part of that. There is a, uh, an author and theologian, uh, Ron uh, Rollheiser, and he's quoted, as along with a lot of the other people I'm going to quote in the sermon tonight, in the book Deeply Formed Life. We've been reading that book by Rich Viotas. If you have it, uh, or if you don't have it, I would recommend you getting it. And these chapters on sexual healing, I, I found them helpful. I found them a framework. They're not going to give you all the answers, but there's some frameworks there that I think are helpful. But, but Ron says this about our history in the West. He says, throughout the history, uh, there has been a divorce in Western culture between religion and eros. Like all divorces, it was painful, and as in all divorces, property got divided. Religion got to keep God, and the secular got to keep sex. The secular got passion, and God got chastity. And this was my uh, lived experience as a young teenager. When I got home, I got to turn on this thing called music television. Uh, maybe you guys haven't heard of it, but MTV was like the thing for me. Music videos every day. MTV was the place where they talked about sex. And TLC had a song about it. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. And so it's like they wanted to talk about it. And then when I went to my youth group and I went to my Bible study, um, I was taught that sex was created by God. That was helpful to hear that. Um, that sex was good. Uh, and I was taught that I needed to wait until marriage and that if I got in a situation where I was tempted before I got married, that I was to run for my life. So sex before marriage, or I would say my sexuality before marriage, was presented to me as something dangerous, as something to be afraid of, if you will. And what was I to do with it, uh, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old? There was a lot of changes happening in my body. What was I supposed to do with all of this? And I found very few places, very few spaces that could hold the kind of space I needed as a young man to be able to process what does it mean to be a sexual being in this world? Uh, what does it mean that we have a God who created us with sexuality? Uh, this morning, uh, there's been quite a few people, in fact, one of them is a part of our uh, worship team here who ha have died recently. So this whole last month, there's been a lot of grieving and one of the things that hit me this morning, because we just had somebody die this, this weekend, um, so we were talking about that. And one of the things that hit me this morning is this reality about sexuality uh, and, and the power. 
kind of in the face of death, all right, that there's this thing in us, this longing in us that keeps going, that keeps making new life. And I just encourage you maybe to think about that, that there's the God of the universe created us in such a way that we are sexual beings. And even in the face of knowing the realities of this life, knowing how hard life is, knowing that death is still has its grip in different ways upon us, that there's this longing that still in us lives to create life in the face of it found that fascinating. There's very few spaces, though, that would hold the work that I needed to do to be able to process and to find wholeness between my spirituality and my sexuality. And as we turn to our text this evening, we see that Moses is retelling the creation story again. He's already told it in Genesis 1, but this time there's a slightly different angle. God has created this incredible ecosystem there in Genesis 2, if you read the whole chapter. It is teeming with life, and God is there with Adam. But who will share the garden with Adam? Who will share it with him? And there's that line that it is not good for man to be alone. Um, I think it's a, it's a text that we need to become more aware of especially in our culture here in the United States, because we have become such an individualistic uh, culture and it has infected even our spirituality so that you will hear songs that we sing in church that say things like, all I need is God, or bumper stickers, or God, you're all I need. When in fact, all the way back in the garden, before sin even entered the world, God is saying, I am not all you need. That I made you in such a way that you don't just need to be connected with me. That you need to find other people to be connected with at deep levels. That you were made for community. And that this is a reflection of the heart of God, of who God is. That our sexuality is a reflection of who God is. That our longings are a reflection of who God is. And so begins the search for Adam for a companion. And Deborah Hirsch, um, who's from Australia, and her, her and her husband, they do a lot of work in church planning, so I've interacted with them at different times. In her book uh, on sexuality and spirituality, she defines these two terms, which I found very helpful. Uh, first, spirituality and then sexuality. That spirituality is the vast longing that we have to know and be known by God. Uh, you, you might say, you know, a higher power, something greater than me, to be connected with something greater. But this is spirituality, and that our sexuality is our longing uh, to be connected with other, with, with people, with humans. That that longing to be connected at an emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual level and so here we see Adam, he has spirituality, he has connection with God, but this sexual longing that he has, that he's looking for this companion in the garden, and that God made him for this, he made him with this longing. You know, many times in my life, my, I thought that my longing to have friends was a weakness, and my longing to have a companion was a weakness. 
that I needed to become like a Rambo, you know, survivalist, like Bear Grylls or something, you know, just take on life by yourself. And to be reminded by scripture, know that in fact, it's not a weakness, but it is by design that we were made for community. So Adam sets out to find this companion. And the word helper is used here, and I just want to be clear that uh, for us not to think of that in hierarchical terms, uh, because that word is the same word that God uses of himself in the Psalms, that he calls himself a helper. So it's not that he's saying, you know, my little helper here, you know, that Adam needed a little helper. This is an equal, equal term. Um, and that at the core of, of what is going to be driving Adam to risk community is this gift of sexuality. Uh, Marva Dawn, who's also quoted in the book, she's a theologian and artist, she gives us two very helpful distinctions uh, when it comes to understanding sexuality. Uh, she calls them social sexuality and genital sexuality. I like the term a little bit more biological sexuality, but, you know, that's what she, she's the one who came up with it. But when I refer to it, I'm going to call it biological sexuality. But essentially what she means is how our bodies biologically fit together. Social sexuality and biological sexuality. And she goes on to say that in Genesis 1, we see a social, social sexuality presented to us. That God creates man and woman, male and female in his image. And that they create family, they create uh, neighborhoods, they create land, they create the world. And that's this picture, this social picture of connection, of creation. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we see the biological we see that man and woman become one flesh, that there is uh, something remarkable happening in the way that the body has come to fit together. And in both of those, both of them are pointing to this reality that we were made for community. That we were made for community and our sexuality is our longing for it. Sadly, uh, for many people that I've interacted with. Uh, our, our expression or how we have tried to express our sexuality or how we have been introduced or sexualized, if you will, at very young ages through things like pornography. Uh, for me, it was soap operas at a very young age, uh, four and five years old, uh, that we were presented sexuality in a way that was harmful to us. And in fact, it did not lead me to community, it led me into hiding from a very, very young time uh, in my life. And I don't know what your story is with it. But it's important for us to find these spaces to be able to talk about it. And as we're drawn back to this narrative, it is important to remember uh, the context of Genesis 1 and 2, that um, the people of God are coming out of slavery, out of Egypt, They've been there for many years. And in that land, the Pharaoh is considered the son of God. He has direct connection to the God, if you will, of Egypt. And, and all of the power goes through that son of God. And then they bring the will of God to bear on the people in that land. And Moses is doing something in Genesis 1, not the uh, scripture we read earlier, but in Genesis 1, where he says, let us make man in our image. And so God made them. That Moses, as the people are leaving that land and that narrative and that story of Egypt, that he's giving them a new story and he's telling them, no, the God, the real God, 
says not just that Pharaoh is a son of God, that we all are sons of God, that we are the image bearers of God. Why is that important? It's important for us to realize that from the very beginning, Moses is putting a foundation that men and women are equal before the eyes of God and before the eyes of each other. Why is that important? Because when I read this text, when I read Genesis chapter 2, coming from the culture that I came from in the South, uh, coming from the high school that I came from, coming from the family that I came from, when I read that Adam was there first and that Eve came second, in my life, my culture, uh, first was the only winner. Uh, you know, second was second place. That's a loser. There was a hierarchy structure for me in the South and in my high school and in my family of what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a woman. There was subtleties of belittling and different things that happened that were very damaging that I'm still healing from in my life. And Moses is so important, you guys, so important for us to realize that what Moses is presenting to us starts in Genesis chapter 1, that all people are creating the image of God, that we are standing on the same level playing field and we can look each other eye in the eyes and see equality with one another so laying that foundation as we go into this story it says that God puts Adam into a deep sleep and that he takes a rib from his side he closes them back up and presents this woman to Adam he presents this woman and what does Adam do in response what is his first response to seeing his companion? It's poetry. It's art. It's not hierarchy. This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. For the first time, Adam is coming eye to eye. Eye to eye with another human. Seeing eye to eye, hearing another voice having other ears to hear, uh, hearing the melodies of a song from someone else, to feel touch for the first time from someone else, to be held. Now, I know that um, for some of you, if you've been in the church and you're like me, you, you may have started reading the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. That's when everything goes wrong. It's been so important for me over the last 10, 15, 20 years to really get back to Genesis 1 and 2, and to spend time allowing myself to meditate on what it was like before there was sin, before there was brokenness in this world, just to try to imagine what it was like to see someone else, to experience full connection in that moment in the garden, to imagine the first kiss, if you will. been super important and it's super important for Moses to remind us of that reality so much so that he includes it as our launching point in the beginning of Genesis Adam has found someone to share the garden with and here are two humans standing before each other like two worlds ever expanding before them where they feel at home and yet there is more to know and more to be known. This is not about patriarchy or matriarchy, but it's about mutuality. 
It's about coming together. It's about building community. Interestingly enough, in this story, life will come from man. And for the rest of the journey, life will come from woman. Yesterday, I was uh, sitting on the couch writing some of my sermon, and Amy was over by the fireplace, and she said, oh my God, Keith, there's a man in a white shirt in our backyard. Now, if you've been to my house, there's like Clusias all the way around our yard, so there's only like one entrance in by our driveway, and she's scared. And when Amy gets scared, I jump to my feet, right? So I'm like running to the door. What, what man in a white shirt dare enter my yard? And uh, around the corner comes our really tall neighbor from South Africa named Daniel, and he's got his son Ellis on his shoulders, who's two years old, and Ellis has uh, left their house. He's crossed the street. And he's come into our yard and ran around the back of the yard looking for my kids. Because we have a couple kids at our house too. And so he's looking for our kids. And uh, as, as Daniel comes around the corner, Ellis is up on his shoulders. And he's completely naked. And he's waving his hand. He's like, hey, what's up? He's just having so much fun. He doesn't have care in the world. And completely unashamed. Completely unashamed. Now, I don't know if you can get there in your memory, but there was a time when we were completely unashamed. A part of the Christian journey, a huge part of the Christian journey, is to get back there. It's to get back there. How do we get back? Moses says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And they felt no shame. In, in my own journey with my own sexual story and uh, as a counselor, as a pastor, as I've journeyed with others, one of the things that I realized also in, in my theological studies is understanding that brokenness, uh, sin, if you will, has affected every single aspect of our lives. And I know that in, in some ways uh, we can find ourselves trying to choose between different camps that we belong in or that we're against something or that we're for something. But I wonder if we could be a space as a church for people to just be, for people to be able to share their stories and try to be understood and that we would try to understand. Could we be a space like that? As uh, Rich goes on in his book, he presents these three diets that we've kind of been fed around the area of sexuality. Uh, one is called the starvation diet. And that's one that you find a lot in uh, the church culture, I would say. Uh, as Drew and I were talking about it, it's, it's actually probably closer to bulimia in the sense that one will starve and then when you can't hold it any longer, you act out. And th this was my story as a young person uh, with sexual addiction, essentially trying to turn the tourniquet down on my sexuality and clamp it down, you know, like to the last belt loop. 
and just walk around almost trying to become like an asexual human being, if you will, until I couldn't hold it any longer because I wasn't caring for that part of myself in any way. I didn't have new understanding. And then I would act out. And that's the starvation diet. And then there's another diet that I was also presented to through MTV and other places, which was the fast food diet. And that is that there is no uh, real depth to sexuality, that sexuality is just a physical encounter with someone else. Uh, It's like going for a jog in the park or a workout or whatever. It's just something you do and that there's no greater depth to it. And it's the fast food diet. And essentially, uh, I would say in my experience of that, it led to emptiness. It led to a space of, man, what is this? This, is, this can't ha- handle, it can't hold all of the longing that I aspire, all the things that are deep, deep inside of me. It's not connecting the dots for me. And so both of these diets have been presented. And then he presents this third, and, and he would say it's the one that the gospel presents, and it's the banquet. And it's to be known. It's to be held in a lifetime of commitment by other. You know, in, in marriage counseling and preparing people for, to get married, as we've talked about sex, literally having sex, um, one of the things I've always told people is that the greatest thing that they can bring into that space is not some level of performance. The greatest thing they can bring into that space is patience, is compassion, is taking the time to truly hear each other, to understand each other, to offer kindness and tenderness and gentleness to one another. That that is what that space was made for. A space where we truly hold one another But those same things don't just apply in the bedroom. They apply in life, outside of the bedroom. That we could offer that to each other. The patience, the kindness, the compassion, the gentleness. As we try to understand our own stories. And what does it mean that God, the God of this universe, made us as human beings and that sexuality is a part of it? It's an incredible, incredible mystery to me. And it's wild and it's beautiful. And it's a gift. It's a gift to find, for me, spaces where I have been able to process my sexual stories has been uh, transformative. And if you have never taken that time uh, to write out, you know, how were you introduced to sex? What was that like the first time um, that you were introduced to it, the topic even? Did your parents talk to you about sex? Did they not talk to you about sex? Uh, What was your story around sexuality? If you've never taken the time to do that, I would encourage you to do that. Um, We also as a church uh, really believe in counseling. Uh, We have therapists on staff. I'm actually a therapist as well. we will give money to people in our church who've never been to counseling and are trying to get into counseling to help them get started in that process and that journey. This is something that we really, really believe in and that we really want each person in this community to have the space to process it. It's a space that's been neglected um, 
even by me as a pastor here in this church, it's something I haven't talked about that much. I talked about it a lot more in Miami, um, but it's something that we're going to be talking about more. And that can be scary for some people, and that's okay. We could talk about that too. But it's a part of our humanity that the church has ignored for too long. And we can't ignore it anymore. I'm grateful for the people in this church who've led us in conversations, uh, for the courage that you all have displayed. And I'm so grateful for the ways in which you've already created these safe spaces for each other. I really believe that uh, the Lord is working through that, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, as we come to the communion table tonight, we're reminded of our Savior of Christ who um, was stripped naked and, and shamed before the crowds, before the masses, and hung on a cross so that we wouldn't have to carry our shame any longer, so that we could come out of hiding, so that we can be known, so we can be open with one another. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit ProvidenciaWPB.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.